Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Um, my name's Tom, if uh, you don't know me, and it's uh, great to have you with us here. Um, I just want to start off by telling you about what happened a few years ago. Well, it all began a few years ago, when in our family we got a hamster. A hamster called Jimbo. Now, Jimbo is her birthday present for our Joe, and uh, he lived in a cage. He had a lovely cage, and a little one of his little whirly wheels that you go in. Sometimes we get in some little treats. Um, and Jimbo lived in this cage on the very top of the bookshelf in our lounge. It was safely away from our cat. But sometimes, maybe we'd be watching a film, having a nice relaxing evening in, um, at, or we'd have some friends around, and Jimbo would start whirring away in that little wheel that he's got. Um, or sometimes we'd be aware that actually Jimbo's cage was a little bit smelly because we hadn't cleaned him out. So whatever the reason, we decided sometimes to move Jimbo. So we'd take him from his cage and we'd go to the little uh, downstairs toilet room. So we'd pop him away in there. And that used to work fine. However, one time after I went to collect Jimbo and bring him back to his normal position uh, in the lounge, we noticed that Jimbo wasn't moving. Yeah. According to the RSPCA, which I've looked it up, hamsters usually live for up to two years, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more. Um, so it, Jimbo was about that age, so we weren't that surprised that, to say goodbye to Jimbo the hamster. Lizzie gently scooped up Jimbo in her hand uh, and held him, and we all gathered around to say our goodbyes and to pay our respects to Jimbo. <laughs> After a few minutes, Lizzie said she thought Jimbo's nose began to twitch. Come on, Lizzie. Reality. Um, we didn't believe her, but then um, she thought Jimbo had started to move. She thought he was starting to breathe. And then eventually, lo and behold, Jimbo started wriggling around and he was like back to normal. We couldn't believe it. Um, and it had turned out that the little downstairs toilet room had got so cold on that winter night that Jimbo the hamster had entered hibernation, which pet hamsters aren't supposed to do. Um, he wasn't dead at all. And this happened at least one other time where uh, we put him in the toilet. It was a bit too cold. We thought he passed away. He came back to, out of hibernation. He must have... Anyway, the, the day finally arrived, uh, earlier this year, actually. We think he must have been one of the oldest hamsters in the world. Um, and we just got back from the CCM church weekend away. Uh, and when we returned, there was absolutely no doubt. He really had gone. Uh, and there was nothing we could do about it. We could have tried the old warming up technique that Lizzie had uh, become an expert at. We could have tried that, put, put Jimbo in a hand, but that wouldn't have woken him up. We could have called Mike, who seems to know a thing or two about animals. But there's nothing Mike would have been able to say that would have brought Jimbo back. We could have rushed to an emergency appointment with a vet at Pets at Home at the Snipe. But they would have no equipment and no medicine that would have brought Jimbo back. 
And I could have searched all night on Google for how to resurrect a hamster, but I would never have found uh, the answer. I would never have been able to, uh, to bring him back. Because when something is dead, there's nothing we can do to change that. We're completely helpless. And that is actually true for us humans too, isn't it? I don't know whether you've been to lots of funerals or maybe you've never been to one, but there is one thing that's true for all of them. There's nothing any of us can do to bring the person back. It doesn't matter how much you might want the person to be alive again. Uh, You could have all the money in the world. You could have the best doctors, the best medicine. You could bring Elon Musk, some of the greatest minds in the world together. Um, But nobody will be able to make a dead person or pet come back to life. When something or someone is dead, there's nothing we can do to change that. We are completely helpless. And today's passage tells us that without Jesus, it's as if your soul and my soul are dead, completely helpless. But it also shows us how we can be made alive and in ways we could never imagine. So I'm going to read the the passage that I've been given for today, which is in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to read along. And it's from verse 1 to verse 10. And this is what it says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, this week we have returned to this book in the Bible that's called Ephesians. You might remember it's a letter that's written in the Bible by a guy called Paul, and it's written to one or, or more of the very first churches. To give you a quick recap, um, a few weeks ago, Tim started us off by looking at how the first part of this letter focuses on how blessed we are because of Jesus. Tim explained that when we trust in Jesus, he changes your identity. He changes who you are. He's told us that Jesus deals with your past and that he resets your future. Then Lizzie talked us through the rest of that chapter emphasizing how Jesus 
uh, is our hope, that Jesus is our power, and that Jesus is our church leader. So today, we're in chapter 2, and we're going to walk through these verses, and I pray that God's going to open our eyes to grasp the difference that Jesus makes in our lives, and to give us hope where we might be struggling. So, up until this point in the letter, Paul has just been raving about how amazing Jesus is. He describes how Jesus is now seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power. So whoever those people are in your life that seem powerful, Jesus is far above them. Perhaps there's someone in your life who you're intimidated by, someone who seems to affect how you feel, or perhaps someone you're in awe of. Well, remember that Jesus is far above them, that God has placed all things under his feet, that he's the head over everything. And then, having heard that, the attention in this letter switches, it moves to us at the start of this chapter, which is where we listen in. And it's quite different. In contrast to a description of God, it says, as for you, you were dead. It's not just, as for you, you're like a tiny little ant. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, as for you, you're like a little worker bee. Or, as for you, you're like a germ that can only be seen under a microscope. No, it's a lot more bleak than that. It says, no, as for you, you were dead. And he can't be talking about our bodies because uh, here we're all alive. Uh, he's talking about our souls, who we are, the part of us that continues to exist after we've finished in this life. So why are we being described like this? Let's take a look. If you see in that passage, it says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It talks about the way you used to live, following the ways of the world. It talks about gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Paul is saying in this letter that we're not meant to just live in whatever way feels good or to do whatever we crave or whatever we desire or whatever thoughts come into our head and that can sound a bit different in opposition to a, a lot of what we hear nowadays people talk about being true to yourself um, let you be you and of course we want to be authentic we want to be genuine people but the urges inside us are often not the most reliable or consistent and they certainly don't always match with what God says is good. And what's the result of living this way? It says in verse 3 that we deserved wrath. Now, that's, that's not a word uh, we use often, um, and it's not really something anyone would want. But it says here um, that that's what we deserve, and it means God's righteous judgment against those who fail to meet God's perfect standard, essentially getting what we deserve. So, so far, it sounds a bit bleak. So, without Jesus, our souls are dead. Completely powerless and helpless because we haven't followed his way. We've followed our own way. But thankfully, the letter doesn't end there. Look at what happens. It says, we were dead, but... And if you see in verse 5, it says, but... It tells us we have been made alive with Christ. 
even when we were still living our own way. And look how far he's taken us. It says we've been raised up with Christ. So not only have we been brought back from the dead, but then it says, and we're also seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. How amazing. We've not just been made alive again, but our status is now wrapped up in Jesus. We also have a place in the heavenly realms. Um, A few years ago, there was a story in the news about a homeless man called Max Melitzer. Max lived in Utah, USA, in America, and Max had been homeless for nearly 30 years. Everything that Max owned in the entire world, he had in a shopping trolley. And he used to push this shopping trolley around with him wherever, wherever he went. And one day, Max was pushing his shopping trolley through a park, like he always did, And he was approached by a man who had been hired by Max's family to find him. And he told Max that one of Max's relatives had died and they'd left their entire inheritance to Max. And it was more than $100,000. So that day, everything changed. Max went from owning nothing or the contents of a shopping trolley to owning more money than he had ever seen. But the difference that God can make is far greater than this. Our souls aren't like a poor, they're not described as like a poor homeless man wandering through a park. They're described as dead, as hopeless, powerless. But thanks to Jesus, not only have we been made alive, we've been given more than $100,000. We're told we're now seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus with the one who is above every power, ruler, and authority. And this can be a bit difficult to get our heads around, can't it? Um, In the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, it says this in chapter 21. It says, it describes heaven as being a place where God will wipe away every tear. It says there'll be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. So it's a place there'll be no need to be anxious or afraid. There'll be no need to be angry. There'll be no discontentment. There'll be no dissatisfaction. There'll be no boredom. There'll be no depression. It's a place that's designed and made by the same God who made this earth, except it's perfect. So let's look at the next section now, which talks about how this has been made possible. If you look in verse four, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Note that it doesn't say, but because you've really changed your ways, God has made you alive. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, because you're really sorry, God has made you alive. No, it doesn't say that. It does say, but because of his great love for us. And it continues in verses 7 and 8 by saying that we've been saved, we've been made alive, thanks to God's kindness in giving us Jesus. We're told this is a gift, that there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. But of course, it wasn't just that God loved us and said, oh, forget about all that stuff. 
No, the only way it was possible for us to be made alive with him, to be with him in heaven forever, was for him to give up his only son. And you may well know the verse. It's a classic, probably the most famous in the world. In John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. Even though God's love for us is greater than any love any of us have experienced on earth, just him loving us couldn't bring our souls to life. Even though God, it says, owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that he has the power to speak a word and the earth is formed or to speak a word and a storm is calmed, even though he has that power, that couldn't bring our souls to life. Even though God's wisdom is far beyond our wisdom, that couldn't sort out the mess that we created. He had to give up his only son, who would swap places with us to take on all our sin and all the consequences so that we could have eternal life. I, um, I grew up going to church every week. I knew uh, the right things to say. Um, and it was the, in the olden days before we had a projector and a screen. So we'd have a little book and you'd flick through to the, to the hymns. So I knew uh, when we, the congregation had to say something, page five, I knew page 38. I, I knew my way around that book. I was well schooled in the ways of going to church. On the outside, I, I looked very much like I was alive. But the thing that drove me was actually cravings and urges um, that they were the things that I really lived for. I wanted to be as popular as possible, and I didn't really think too much about, about what God wanted or what God thought. And then in the summer of 1999, before many of you were born, I, I had the chance to go, the opportunity to go on a, a boozy lad's holiday to Torquay to see the solar eclipse. I don't know if you've not, still not been to Torquay. I didn't go. I didn't go to Torquay. For some reason, uh, I ended up going with some uh, friends to a Christian festival called Soul Survivor. Um, and some, uh, so I'm at Soul Survivor, and everything changed that week. It, it was there that we'd hear lots of different speakers talking, and I remember uh, one particular guy shared a verse which has stuck with me all these years. And he said something from Matthew 12, which is this. He said, whoever is not with me uh, is against me. And I was really convicted because I thought, well, I'm a bit of church, a bit of this, a bit of that. Um, so I was really convicted. Whoever is not with me is against me. I knew Jesus was real, but I'd not taken his word seriously. So that week, I handed the steering wheel of my life over to Jesus. And at that point, I was made alive. I went from reluctantly going to church de to desperately seeking out Christians when I moved away from home. Um, my desires changed as I, I actually wanted to read the Bible and find out what it said about God and how I should live my life. I actually cared about what God thought. I no longer let my desires dictate uh, what I did. So um, I'll invite Rob, Robin to come up now as I just wrap up. Um, one response to this passage you might have heard, um, one response might be for you to take the opportunity to put your trust in Jesus. Maybe you feel you want to ask him to raise you up in Christ, to give you a place in the heavenly realms forever. 
Maybe as you think about the future in this life and beyond, maybe you feel utterly powerless and helpless. Maybe you know that you need him. I'll just pause now for you to consider if that's you today. Or maybe you've put your trust in Jesus long ago, but you actually feel more like you're dead than alive. Perhaps there are struggles in your life where you feel completely powerless. Maybe the stuff that you do or think or um, that you don't that you don't want uh, or you know you shouldn't want. Maybe it keeps maybe the stuff that keeps happening that you wish wasn't happening. Maybe you have negative uh, thought patterns that spiral out of control. Perhaps you read verse 2 in this passage that says, this is how you used to live and think in the past. And you think, but I'm still struggling with this stuff now. Well, I want to pray for you and for all of us right now in line with a prayer that is in this same letter. It's later in uh, chapter 3 as uh, we go into another time of worship. So I'm going to read these verses, which are from verse 16, and uh, just listen to these and make, make this your prayer as well. It says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.